It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello, Canada and hockey fans in the United States and Newfoundland. It's behind the Maple Leaf Nets. It's right crowding them. Back to Paul at the blue line. He fakes a shot. Rolls one in front. And Kennedy intercepted and shoots it away. Greetings and welcome to the first episode of Season 2 of Pucks and Cups. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. If you donate or become a patron, I'll thank you on the air and throughout my social media. Don't forget, I have two other podcasts out there. From John to Justin, which releases every single Friday and looks at the political history of Canada. And Canadian History X which releases every Wednesday and Saturday and looks at small town histories as well as a general history of the country. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram and TikTok at bairdho37. You can also find me on YouTube by searching Canadian History X, that's E-H-X, where I release weekly videos about Canadian history. You know you're good when you're given the name of one of the greatest athletes of the time. Such was the case for Cecil Henry Dye, better known as Babe Dye. And while his playing career ended 90 years ago, he remains one of the greatest players the NHL ever saw. So let's explore his life and career. Born on May 13, 1908 in Hamilton to John and Esther Dye, Dye only lived briefly in the community before his mother moved the family to Toronto in 1909 following the death of his father. Today we often think of hockey dads building hockey rinks in the backyard for their children, but for Dye it was his mother who built the outdoor rink for her son. She was also the one who encouraged him to practice with skating and shooting drills. Dye would say later of his mother, quote, She could throw a baseball harder than I can, end quote. He would add, quote, My mother knew more about hockey than I ever did and she would throw a baseball right out of the park, end quote. An old legend said that Dye, who had a pompadour, had scored 12 goals without ever crossing center ice while playing as a child. In 1916, Dye would begin to play for the Toronto Era Lee, beginning his junior career. He would spend three seasons in juniors, putting up immense numbers including scoring 31 goals in only eight games in 1916-17. In May of 1918, Dye would enlist with the 69th Battery of the Canadian Field Artillery, but he never made it overseas to fight in the trenches during the First World War. He would play for the Battery's baseball team at Camp Patawawa, which won the title of Artillery Champions of Canada. In 1918-19, Dye would begin to play for the Toronto St. Patrick's, the forerunners of today's Toronto Maple Leafs. One year later, he joined the team when it made its debut in the NHL, also the debut for Dye. Dye would immediately make a huge impact on the team. The Montreal Gazette would write on December 29, 1919, after a game against Quebec, quote, Babe Dye never played better in his career, end quote. 
After the 1918-1919 season was done, Dye began to look at where he was going to play again. It was reported in November of 1919 that Dye was looking at playing for the Calgary Wanderers. The Calgary Herald would report, quote, Dye is credited with being a hockey marvel, a whirlwind on skates, and a brilliant stick handler, end quote. In the end, Dye would not go to Calgary and would stay with Toronto, which was good news for his career and legend. With the St. Patrick's, he would win the Stanley Cup in 1922, scoring nine goals in just five games in the final, a record that stands to this day for the current playoff format. The Saskatoon Daily Star would state of the win, quote, There were moments when brilliant plays brought the crowd to its feet, cheering wildly, and Babe Dye was in the limelight most of the time. The baseball hockey star was never better, end quote. During his first six seasons, Dye would score an astounding 176 goals in only 170 games. The Vancouver Daily World would say on December 5, 1922, regarding a recent game, quote, Babe Dye was the shining light of the visitors' forward line. A fast skater and possessing a shot like a howitzer, he proved himself a wizard at stick handling and gave Lehman more trouble than all the rest of the forwards put together, end quote. In 1923, Dye would score five goals in the opening game of the season against the Montreal Canadiens, setting a franchise record that stood until 1976 when Daryl Sittler had his legendary 10-point game. By the end of the season, Dye was seeing that he was a superstar in the NHL and he wanted to be paid as such. Before the 1923-24 season began, Dye reported in November that he would not be taking to the ice until he received a substantial raise in his salary. At the time, he was making $1,800 per season, which amounted to about $29,000 today. Dye stated he wanted to be paid at least $4,000 per year or $64,000 per year today. The Saskatoon Star stated, quote, Dye has undoubtedly been the scoring ace of the St. Pat's, and it is rather tough to see him remain out of the game this year because of a salary dispute, end quote. A day later, it was stated that Dye had signed a contract and that he would play if he was not sold by Buffalo to a Major League Baseball team the following month. By January, Dye was back playing on the team and immediately put in the puck in the net. In his first game back, he scored his first goal of the season. Dye would continue to play for the team that year and proved once again why he was one of the best players in the league. And while he played only 19 games, his lowest total in his career from 1919-20 to 1926-27, he still registered 17 goals and 2 assists. While Dye was not a fast skater, his shot was hard and extremely accurate. Weighing only 150 pounds, Dye was very strong and his stick was made of solid hickory at a time when most sticks were made of maple, ash, or yellow birch. This gave him the strongest and most flexible kind of stick. It was said that his shot was able to snap a 2-inch thick plank of wood. Jack Adams would say that he once saw a shot by Dye go clean through the backrest of an arena seat after it went through the thick wire mesh that protected the crowd in Toronto. Defensemen who attempted to stop his shot with their stick were said to suddenly find their sticks had shattered in two. As a skilled stick handler, his wrist shot was incredibly precise. This was shown in the third season with Toronto when he scored 12 of his 31 goals from behind the red line, and his goals were often so quick that neither the referee, linesman, or goalie had ever seen the puck go into the net. Spray Cleghorn, someone I covered in Season 1, said that Dye had the best shot he had ever seen. Cooley Smith would say of Dye, quote, I can't recall a player in my time or since who could control a shot like Babe. He could thread a needle with the puck and it came up like a bomb, end quote. King Clancy would speak of Dye, saying, quote, Babe Dye certainly had the best shot in hockey, 
He didn't have to skate fast. He didn't have to. All he had to do was get that puck and shoot, end quote. Hap Day would say, quote, While he wasn't a particularly good skater, he was always in position to take a pass. As far as accuracy is concerned, I haven't seen a player in recent years to match die. End quote. In 1922, in the Stanley Cup final against the Vancouver Millionaires, Reg Noble won the faceoff and passed the puck to die who shot it at the net. Hugh Lehman, the goalie, stood still not realizing the puck had gone in the net, and it took several seconds before anyone discovered that the puck was already in the net. At the same time he was playing in the NHL, Dye was also playing in the Canadian Football League for the Toronto Argonauts as a halfback. He also played professional baseball in the International League with the Baltimore Orioles. It was in baseball that he earned the nickname of Babe, which was very high praise considering it came from Babe Ruth. Dye was good enough as a baseball player that he was offered $25,000 by Connie Mack to join the Philadelphia Athletics in the major leagues, but he chose to stay with hockey instead. The Sporting News would state in August 1924, Dye is surely a nifty baseball player, a good hitter, reliable outfielder, and speedy on the base paths. End quote. Shag Shaughnessy would say of Dye, quote, I remember one summer when Babe was playing in the outfield for Brantford in the old Canadian Baseball League. He had lost most of his teeth in hockey the previous winter and was breaking in a new set of choppers. He was chasing a fast-sinking line drive when his new teeth bounced out of his mouth. Babe went searching for them in the grass, and while he was doing it, the hitter circled the bases for an inside-the-park home run. End quote. In 1922, Dye contemplated leaving hockey. The Edmonton Journal would report on April 5, 1922, quote, Babe Dye, crack shot of the St. Patrick's World Champions, may quit hockey. The authority of the statement is Dye himself. His one ambition is to become a high-class baseball player. If he can make the grade with Buffalo in the International League this year and earn a regular berth, then hockey will be forgotten. End quote. Of course, that would not be the case. Playing all of these sports began to take its toll on the body as he aged, and the owners of the St. Patrick's were not happy about their star player playing two different sports. As a result, in an effort to fix their financial situation, the team owners put Dye up for sale. For eight seasons, Dye had played for his hometown St. Patrick's and would lead the league in goals in 1920-21, 1922-23, and 1924-25. In 1923 and 1925, he also led the league in scoring. His 38 goals in 30 games in 1924-25 set a franchise record that would stand for 35 years until it was broken by Frank Mahovlich, who played a 70-game season in 1960-61. In 1926, Dye would be sold to the Chicago Blackhawks, who had just joined the NHL. The Victoria Times columnist reported at the time, quote, Cecil Babe Dye was sold to the Chicago club, and while no price was made known, it is understood the local club secured a good sum for the sharpshooter, end quote. The deal would come back to haunt the St. Patrick's when Dye led the league in goals once again. But that would be the last bit of glory for Dye. At a training camp before the 1927-28 season, Dye would seriously break his leg and he would never be the same player. Dye and the team had been practicing at the Chicago Amphitheater when he collided with Art Townsend, a rookie, and fell to the ice, breaking his leg. He would be taken to the hospital where he would stay until his leg began to heal. In the subsequent season, he went 10 games without scoring a goal and he was then sold to the New York Americans. Over 42 games with the team, he had just one goal. On November 15, 1929, Dye was traded to the New Haven Eagles of the Canadian American Hockey League. With that team, he would have 15 points, including 11 goals in 34 games. In February 1930, Dye was signed by his former team, 
now called the Toronto Maple Leafs. He would play only six games before he was released, and this would be the last time he would ever play NHL hockey. The Ottawa Citizen reported on December 9, 1930, quote, Babe Dye, veteran sharpshooter, has been given his outright release by the Toronto Maple Leafs of the National Hockey League. Dye failed to fit in the Leafs' fast skating attacks as he was slowed considerably from the time when he led the league's marksmen in scoring honours. In the 58 games after he broke his leg, he managed only one goal. And this was in sharp contrast to the 201 goals he scored previously in his career. Over the course of his NHL career, Dye had 248 points, including 202 goals in just 268 games. He remains the all-time franchise points-per-game leader for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and his best season was with the Toronto St. Pats in 1924-25, when he had 44 points, including 38 goals in just 29 games. His prowess as a goal scorer is shown in the fact that in his entire NHL career, he only hit double digits once in the assists when he had 11 in 1922-23. In contrast, from 1920 to 1927, he never had less than 17 goals in a season. Dye was not exceptionally rough as a player either, only registering 221 penalty minutes in his career and never having more than 41 in a season. This is in sharp contrast to someone like Sprague Cleghorn, who registered over 50 penalty minutes in a season six times, or Eddie Shore, who had over 100 penalty minutes in a season five times. After he retired, Dye remained in the hockey world. He would coach the Port Colburn Sailors, followed by his time with the Chicago Shamrocks, where he won the league title in 1931-32. Unfortunately, Dye was fired right before the championship winning game on April 9, 1932, because he did not stop the team captain from going to Toronto to get married between games. The team captain was also fined $1,000. On March 19, 1935, Dye made his debut in the NHL as a referee. He would ref the following season as well, but he was not liked by fans, and the Daily News reported in 1937 that the crowds would chant three blind mice whenever Dye was refereeing. After his 1938-39 NHL season, Dye was no longer a referee in the NHL, but he would continue to work as one in the minor leagues until 1943. For the next 20 years, Dye worked for Seneca Petroleum. And in 1961, he was a television guest for the Chicago Blackhawks and Montreal Canadiens Stanley Cup Final Series. And he would say of playing in that day than his, quote, I think I could do even better today with those long schedules. I could always fire a puck and I knew where it was going. I could skate when I had to. The big difference, as I see it, as the crowds are bigger and the boys are getting a lot more money than we ever did. End quote. The same year, he would suffer a stroke. He would pass away at the age of 63 in Chicago on January 3, 1962. He had been hospitalized for several months prior due to a heart attack and his health was failing. In 1970, he would be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, and in 1998, the Hockey News ranked him as the 83rd greatest player in NHL history. To date, his goals-to-games ratio was fourth-best in NHL history, behind only Mario Lemieux, Cy Denini, and Mike Bossy. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Babe Die. Next week, we're looking at the Dawson City Nuggets, who made that amazing trip to compete with Ottawa for the Stanley Cup. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. 
And you can donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Katie Caldwell, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from NHL.com, Canadian Encyclopedia, Sportsnet, Wikipedia, Society for Baseball Research, Maple Leaf Legends, Leafs Nation, The Montreal Gazette, The Red Deer Advocate, Nanaimo Daily News, Vancouver Sun, Edmonton Journal, and the Saskatoon Daily Star. Thanks. We'll see you again next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.